0: We don't have to try any harder. We don't need to fight anymore. We don't have to try any harder. Hey, Jacob. Hi, Scott. We just had a long conversation. Yeah, we were sitting hey,
1: here halfway. up. Th- oh, go ahead.
0: <laughs> no, and you're like, maybe we should hit record. We were talking about some really great stuff. Just so you know.
1: Oh yeah. Well, it's it's funny. I mean, Scott, I, there are it's it's you have a very public life, and so do I, Scott. But I think that sometimes the impression is that I don't really have any private life, and the fact is, I'm a very private person. So it's it's funny to talk. And you said, "Hey, do you want to talk about this on the on the episode?" And I'm like, "Oh, I'll keep that. I'll keep that private for now." Yeah. And what was the this? Oh, you know, sex and. Stuff. Yeah, <laughs> you know. I mean, what else? is What you really else? Want to say the topic yeah. names. <laughs> <Jesse. laughs>
0: yeah. Well, it was great talking with you before the podcast, brother. Yeah, I feel like we haven't done that. You know, I have. We, you and I, have not spoken outside the podcast, I don't think, which is we, we get to speak a lot in the podcast, but I do feel like there's stuff we would want to share outside the podcast, like what we did today. Yeah. And uh, it felt good to do that.
1: Yeah. Well, I agree. It's funny. As soon as we're done, I always feel so fed from having talked with you, but, and I don't talk to anyone else in my life for an hour or so every week. I mean, I may, maybe my brothers for sure. And my sister Emily, um, but I, you know, I don't have a regular other friend I'm yeah. talking to for a solid hour every week. So this always feels like like plenty. But then I'm later, I'm like, yeah, but I want to talk to Scott about other stuff.
0: I know, same, same. Maybe, maybe we, we should, should make have, that happen. That's not out of bounds.
1: <laughs> maybe we should have a, an unplugged um, segment. <laughs>
0: that's just about sex and drugs yeah just all that
1: stuff this is for premium subscribers Um, (laughs) (laughs) Totally. (laughs) we need a new
0: name that's right i
1: can't can't think of it right now but
0: it'll be something yeah you're the you're the title person well
1: i'll tell you one thing i've I've loved and um i was really disappointed today i'm going to Put this right out there to everyone. I was really disappointed when I checked in on um, questions or comments, and there wasn't anything new. And I know it's a time of year when we're all getting outside and it's springtime and all of that, so I don't expect quite as much activity. But I was really looking forward to um, comments from people who listen or um, or questions or things for us to discuss. So there wasn't that. So that's my. Uh, it would be passive aggressive, because if I'm saying it directly to you, please leave us uh, stuff to talk about. We really enjoy that.
0: Yeah, we welcome it. We welcome it. And and also, please, if you're enjoying the show, uh, tell people about it, share it with people and write a review and leave a comment. That's a great way to um, support what we're doing here.
1: Yeah, I did notice it, you know, it's been over a year now and we're in season two and... You and I have never had a sense of, let's see how hard we can push and make this hit the, you know, Apple iTunes new and noteworthy list or how many listeners do we have? We really have never made that a focus. So it's been a curious um, experiment for me to watch what would happen if we just regularly put stuff out there. And last week we had our biggest listening week ever um, since the show began. Um, and I'm noticing that people are going back and listening to many, many of the older episodes, which, which makes me happy. I'm glad that, you know, sometimes with a podcast, uh, it can feel like you're just talking into a tin can over the void. It's like, is anybody out there? Yeah.
0: That's exciting. I didn't even know that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah I agree with you you know I'm listening my my friend has a podcast she's she has one with another woman it's called quitted and they talk about people who have quit different things in their lives and it's it's a great podcast and they're very um you know they they started a patreon immediately for it and every they begin their podcast every time saying these are the different ways you can support us and they do it in such a like a matter of fact, easy way. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, it's still, I have not, I I was going to say I've not mastered, but I haven't even come close to mastering, like whatever 10 (laughs) steps before mastering would be, like gotten just easy about asking people for anything. Mm -hmm. You know, like every time I'm doing it, there's a sense inside that isn't totally, comfortable Mm -hmm. you know even just to say hey leave us a review and uh um it's helpful and a rating it's helpful um even when you're you're, it's not asking for money you know it's just like hey click on the stars and write a, a sentence but um it's something i'm constantly working with you know how are you with asking people for what you need or want
1: well i just unmuted myself there's a uh Earlier, before we started, there were fighter jets doing um, pirouettes over my house. And then uh, just now the um, leaf blower came by. So I might need you to talk for a minute, actually. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. I hear the leaf blower. So Jacob is muted. So I'm going to talk for a second. What am I? I'm going to talk about um, the fires in New Mexico. We've been having lots of fires in northern New Mexico. And It's today's actually a fairly blue sky, but I've been uh, hiding out inside, not really hiding out, just feeling somewhat trapped indoors because the air quality has been uh, awful. It smells like a campfire outside. And I think, you know, it's I I just sent out a newsletter talking about this. So if you read it, you're going to hear me talk about it again. Um, But. It's uh, I had this experience the other night, Jacob, where there was this really red, red sun. I don't know if you've ever seen a sunset when it's smoke is clouding the sun and what ha- like fire smoke and what happens to that sun. It's this like, just really extraordinary red color. And I'm watching it from my bedroom because I didn't want to even go outside to look at the sunset because it, it the smoke and it, and I'm watching it. And as I'm, Taking in this beautiful sunset, my mind is consumed with thoughts about the reason the sun looks like it does, which is to say I was focused on the tragedy of these wildfires and that literally only 35 miles from where I live, people were evacuating and have lost homes. And it's it's crazy to consider I'm living my life as normal while people have lost their homes, you know, a handful of miles away, like their reality is completely changed. So I'm watching this gorgeous sunset and I'm living with the reality of these wildfires and how it's affecting people and, and mourning just the overheating of our planet and all of it. And almost and what my mind was telling me is it's on some level, it's inappropriate to enjoy this sunset because it's the product of tragedy mm. and heartbreak. Mm. And so I'm, I'm sitting with this whole story. And slowly, slowly, and so I was feeling the heartbreak of the fires. I was feeling the, I I was offering prayers to all the people whose lives have been really directly affected. I was carrying the energy of mourning for this planet that is burning up, not just in our country, but in, in many areas around the world. And then slowly, I allowed myself to just melt into the beauty of the sunset because that was real too you know and why would i deny the experience of this beautiful sunset no matter the reason for it why not why not hold space for the beauty and the tragedy why not connect to that that part of me and that part in all of us that is so wildly expansive that is so able to make space for the entire story here, mm-hmm. the entirety of this reality. And why would I ever choose, because the heartbreak is 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 so present and the atrocities and the violence, all of that is, is it's very easy to find and our minds so naturally steer toward that. Why wouldn't we give ourselves over to these moments of beauty whenever they present
1: themselves? That was a beautiful monologue.
0: Oh, thank you. No, it was.
1: Thank you, leaf blower. (laughs) (laughs) Scott's like, uh, the universe heard my prayer for the leaf blowers.
0: (laughs) I just wanted to talk. I want to be the
1: voice of this episode. Damn it. Jacob can be quiet for like three minutes. (laughs) What you just said reminded me of something that a friend of mine, um, Jim McGinley, Shout out to Jim McGinley, PhD. He was my brother's commanding officer in the Marines, and they stayed friends uh, afterwards. And and he he got himself sober after a really long time of, of tremendous struggle with uh, alcoholism and things, and um, and then went back to school post post retiring from the Marines. And now he's a psychologist. Anyway, he shares cool stuff with me. And, he sent me this link the other day. He was talking about negative capability in literature, and it's a writer's ability, which Shakespeare I'm reading now possessed so enormously to accept uncertainties, mysteries, doubts without any irritable reaching after fact and reason. Uh, reason, according to the poet Keats, who first used the term in an 1817 letter, an author possessing negative capability is objective and emotionally detached as opposed to one who writes for didactic purposes, but here's what I wanted to get to. A literary work possessing negative capability may have beauties and depths that make conventional considerations of truth and morality irrelevant. And that sounds a little academic, Scott, but um, one of the reasons I feel that you are able to share a whole perspective with people and invite people into more of the story, more of the picture, is you you possess that That capability um, of holding of holding a lot of different truths in your hands and heart at one time, and um, you know, I'm part of this really cool Facebook group called Idaho Weather Watchers, and it's a large group, and people post mostly beautiful pictures of stuff around Idaho, Uh, but there's also you know times of posting pictures of wild we have a lot of wildfires up here in fact summer here is has become like a fifth season called smoke smoky season um because we have so many fires either in our state or you know around us oregon washington um and it's always interesting for me to see a beautiful picture posted and um kind of like what you just said, of maybe it's, it's a vista with the mountains and there's smoke in the trees and there's a weird smoky sun, but it's kind of striking. And it's always interesting for me to see some people are like, oh my God, that's gorgeous. And other people are straight into the, oh my God, I'm, I can't believe how terrible this situation is. And I struggle with that because I do acknowledge the, as you were just saying, the fear, the uh, anxiety, um, the sense of, of hopelessness at times with with the events that happen. Um but i I don't ever want to lose the ability to go and
0: absolutely, yeah, absolutely. you know when I was watching that sunset i was i thought of that photograph of those strollers. you know, I don't take in a ton of news these days, mm-hmm. but that photograph made it everywhere of the strollers in the trains. Did you see? Watch, well, you probably don't know what I'm talking about. There was a, there's a photograph of these strollers in a Polish train station that all of these Polish women left mm-hmm. for the Ukrainian refugees that were about to arrive with their children. And it was this, this photo that went viral. And I saw it shared all over the place. And it was such, it's, it's so beautiful. I mean, it, it melts your heart. And I was thinking about that photo while I was watching the sunset, it came to mind because I, I was thinking about how the power of that photo was such because of the circumstances of the atrocities happening. It's like these were not ordinary strollers for ordinary children. These were strollers for innocent moms fleeing with innocent babies Mm. from a a horrible war, Mm -hmm. right? And how everything we feel, well, or virtually everything we feel is in relation to something else we felt. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, it's, it's true that we know joy because we know sorrow. It's true that we grieve the most for those we love the most. Like all of these, it's the contrast here mm-hmm. that creates our deepest emotions so often, our deepest longings so often. Yeah. And I, I, I really you know I I haven't been listening to I I I think 2021 was my big Abraham Hicks year <laughs> so I haven't been listening to Abraham Hicks too much but one of the one of the gifts I appreciate very much through all that channeling was just the the focus on contrast and the awareness um that they would bring to just the reality of contrast in this re, in, on this planet and in this world and how um, how it's so easy. It's not that I'm looking for pain. Mm-hmm. I'm not seeking out pain because I believe on the other side of that pain, I'm going to have a deeper sense of joy. But it's acknowledging that some of the great pains in our lives, we wouldn't know the extent of joy had we not experienced certain things in our lives that have taken us to the depths of sorrow.
1: Yeah.
0: And there's something beautiful in that, or at the very least there's something real in that. That's the nature of this reality. Yeah. And I don't feel compelled to resist it as much as I did anymore. I feel compelled to open myself up to all of it as much as I'm able and feel it as much as I'm able. Yeah.
1: Uh, Yeah. You know, Scott, I've been reading this book, um, Whole Brain Living, uh, Jill Bolte-Taylor, and she was a neuroscientist um, or something. Have you read this book?
0: No, but I loved her Ted, Ted talk on the stroke. Of oh, Genius. okay.
1: So, you know, yeah. And she's talking tell about people who don't know Jacob. Yeah. I was trying to see if I had it sitting. Yeah. Here I have it right here. Um, whole brain living, the anatomy of choice and the four characters that drive our life. And she had this, so she was a, already a, you know, very well-respected scientist and physician ahead of this stroke, but she had the stroke that destroyed her left brain function. And, um, And then as a scientist, she began to re um, construct things um, over time and notice them kind of like Viktor Frankl being a psychologist in the, in the death camps in Germany. Um, So, so interesting to be in the middle of an experience and also observing it and and eventually then sharing from it. Um, But what I've loved so far is how she talks about, um, well, specifically you mentioned joy and I've made a distinction between joy and happiness for some time now and i loved how she broke it down and said happiness lives in our left brain which surprised me she said happiness is the is isn't a feeling or an emotion that is generated by things that are happening outside of us events experiences things that are happening outside Said joy is this deeper Experience of being—it's a deeper, and that's you know, in my in my creative cure book, at the last chapter, I talked about it. Is this? It's an aquifer. So I, my my eyes lit up as I'm listening to her. I'm like, oh my god, it's so cool to hear this uh, described. And she said, when I began to then learn that I had these four characters, one in each part of my left brain and right brain, and I began to understand that the left brain one had been given incentive to become overdeveloped throughout my life and that eventually i had more control i had the ability to remember to essentially put my soul self back in charge and and not to deny or shame or dismiss any of the other parts but just go the part of me that is judging this experience as horrible or awful or um completely unfair that's valid. Let me hear from this other part of me who can see from a different perspective and can experience joy even in difficult circumstances. And anyway, it's just a fascinating book I'm about halfway through, but um, really, I really loved that. And that discussion of joy um, as, no, this is the ground of our being. Joy is, the deepest part of joy is our true nature. Happiness is ephemeral um, comes like a geyser, you know, above the surface, but, and we want those times, but to conflate happiness and joy actually keeps us in the chase of something that is going to be difficult.
0: Yeah. I I love that distinction, you know, and, and I'm, I mean, I'm also, but I'm chasing joy. I would say even more than I'm chasing happiness (laughs) because I'm chasing the things that I believe to be my most inherent qualities you know like as as a human being on this planet and i see joy as one of those things Mm -hmm. like we are born of that we are born of love we are born of creativity yeah so there's like a mysterious presence in jacob's home i just see little (laughs) shadows happening
1: Um, probably cats
0: Yeah. (laughs) we're you know we're born of all those things and so i i i feel like again the the so much of this spiritual process for me has been continuing to remember who I really am and continuing to give energy to what it is I remember.
1: Well, and I, interesting when you said chasing joy, and you know, I wouldn't sit here and parse semantics with you, but um, that is I feel like what I hear you saying in that is you've committed yourself to remembering. Yeah. You've committed to remembering and using various practices uh, lately, breath work. To remember yeah. who you really are. Right? Exactly.
0: It's like watching the sun. It was just, Hey, remember this is all, this is all part of the reality. Give yourself over to the beauty. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. Do you, I've been thinking a lot about numbing, uh, also, are you in, do you numb? And if so, what do you numb with?
1: Um, I mean, you know, I've, we've worked at cutting back on alcohol, um, overall, um, Occasionally that Um, I've found that I really enjoy a tincture, a cannabis tincture at night and that I've been getting actual sleep (laughs) Mm. um, in ways that I didn't know that I really could. And so that's been pretty wonderful. And the crossfade from being fully awake to, you know, lying there in bed, gently chuckling about things that I wouldn't probably usually find funny. But just that gentle, like, oh, I'm numbing and fading out. Oh, this is wonderful. That's that's pretty great. Do you feel that that's numbing though? Taking a cannabis tincture to go to sleep. Um, it
0: does it, or I should say, for you, does it feel like numbing?
1: I, well i don't I don't have a problem with numbing I think if we're in t- tremendous yeah. pain you know whether we're using ice or aspirin or whatever to to numb the pain I think that's a natural thing to do I, I'd say if i'm if I'm numbing if I'm using something to stay away from the difficulty of of reality that is calling me to make choice and i'm and I'm abandoning I'm abdicating my role as the as the creator of my life because I keep you know using a substance of some kind to get away from difficult choices. that's an area I wouldn't want to get into. Um, and I have in my life, but, but no, so it doesn't feel like that. This feels more like a creature comfort and also a very real, uh, rescue aid to put me to sleep.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think I, well, I know I numb sometimes. I mean, I know I, I'll turn to food and Netflix and cannabis sometimes from, a less than clear place i'd say sure just because i feel like checking out yeah for a bit and i i used to judge that more harshly and i still do like the part of me i i'm noticing jacob this this part of me inside that i thought i had kind of transcended but it it definitely peaks back up often which is this spiritual perfectionist Mm -hmm. almost you know like if i if for instance, I'm, I want to have a gummy and I have the gummy, but I'm aware that I'm having the gummy just to like kind of check out for a handful of hours in the evening. It's like, there's a part of me that, that views that as I'm, as I'm abandoning myself somehow, I'm not being as clear and as spiritual as I could be. Um, And I think what I'm, what I'm feeling these days is it's like you're not there's there's no abandoning yourself. you're not mm-hmm. abandoning yourself. And like it's entirely okay to numb mm-hmm. sometimes. like mm-hmm. who who can possibly <laughs> stay open a hundred percent of the time to this reality? Mm-hmm. Like who can make themselves available to feeling all the time? Right. And so I have this like schoolmaster side when it comes to my spiritual path that's like, make the clear choice, make the clear choice. And to be clear, I'm often not making the clear choice, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, mm-hmm. it's just a, it's another, it feels like another story that I'm looking at now, which is this, this story that because I, because you and I, we talk about, and I know we both believe it's so important to feel our feelings. Mm-hmm. And for me, when I'm choosing cannabis or to zone out on Netflix, I, I, I feel often, At least sometimes that choice is in part just not wanting to feel anything anymore, you know, just wanting to like get lost and coming to this place of like, and that's okay, like that too is human, yeah. You know, if you're if that's all you're doing, if that's all you're choosing, yes, there's something to look at there, of course. And I'm not encouraging around the clock numbing, you know, (laughs) at all, but. I guess it comes back to what I feel to be the you know one of the most important things I'm choosing in my life mm. these days again and again is to be just to remind myself like hey this is okay you don't have to beat yourself up for this either
1: Yeah I want to I want to read you a favorite <laughs> clip from uh, Hemingway's A Farewell to Arms um, and I, I'm reading this to everyone here who Feels like sometimes the world is really to be sensitive in a world like this can be really overwhelming can be really um, uns, like unable to be sustained unsustainable. <laughs> Just looking for that word. Um, yeah, but this is a farewell to arms. The world breaks everyone, and afterward, many are strong at the broken places, but those that will not break, it kills. It kills the very good and the very gentle and the very brave impartially. If you are none of these, you can be sure it will kill you too, but there will be no special hurry. Um, I've always loved, I've always loved A Farewell to Arms. I've always loved this bit. And many of us have seen passed around, you know, um, and afterward, you're strong at the broken places and failed to kind of get the fullness of what Hemingway was talking about there, which is it's difficult to be an intelligent, sensitive person in this world um, and to, especially right now with all of the inputs. You just talked about walking away from the news for the most part. I hadn't seen that stroller uh, picture, which sounds gorgeous and heartbreaking um, and inspiring, but I don't watch or plug into too much news. I do scan the headlines and stuff. But I think that the fact of so many inputs that were just a wash in um, means that we're bearing not only our own load in life, but we are probably piling loads on ourselves that we really can't do anything about. Um, mm-hmm. and I've had this conversation with a lot of people like, what do what, what do you do in a world where you, you probably should be taking some action, um, in some way. And all I know for sure is that, I take better action when I am in the energy of joy, when I'm in the energy of my health. Um, When I'm feeling connected and grounded, I'm making, I'm taking better action out there rather than just that panicked, the world is going to hell and I need to do something and therefore I'm going to go out and just roar or scream or something, you know, or some version of that. You mentioned before the show, and I don't know if this is a great segue, but, you know, the question about abortion, we're coming up to this Mother's Day weekend, my, this Mother's Day weekend, I happen to also have my birthday on Mother's Day, which has happened a number of times in my, in my life.
0: Okay.
1: Um, so I'm, but I, but I've been holding, like, I've been holding these questions that feel really big, um, about what's happening in our, in our government, in our world, in our nation. And, um totally happy to, to tell you to, for you to tell me to put that on pause. We can talk about it later, but how, how are you feeling about moving into that conversation?
0: Oh fu- yeah, fine. I feel fine. Do you want to launch it or do you want,
1: <laughs> well, how, I mean, you asked the question to begin with. So like, what are, what are some of your initial feelings or impressions?
0: Well, I'm 100% pro-choice. Mm-hmm. So that's my, the first thing I would want to say about it. Um, I can't begin. I, I, and in saying that, I can absolutely imagine being opposed to abortion.
1: Mm-hmm. Tell me more about that.
0: Just, I can imagine, I can imagine, well, not only I can imagine, you know, I I think that, how to say this, because I, I, I also want to be clear, I'm 100% pro-choice, Um. I think that the there, I I wish people, I wish more of us or all of us would bring to conversations, especially around these highly polarized subjects, Mm -hmm. um, more, more honesty in terms of our relationship to uh, the subject as an example, Mm -hmm. I feel like on the, the side of pro-choice, what I often see is a, a, a real nonchalance about abortion, especially earlier abortion when there is a, um, you know, when the, the fetus is the size, it's a sesame seed, let's say inside the woman the size of a sesame seed. Mm-hmm. And for me, I get that. And it's, it is still life. It's the foundation of life that's going to form, you know, every tree we're seeing every plant we're seeing was a seed at one point, like Mm -hmm. this is life. And I feel like in order Mm -hmm. to, sometimes in order to make our case for things, we're dismissive of aspects of that thing. And what I see on the side of a lot of pro choicers and a lot of the dialogue Mm -hmm. is that um, there is, there can be, kind of a dismissal of early abortion based on the size of life that is happening. Mm -hmm. And I think, well, I don't, can we acknowledge though that this still is life? Like, is that an acknowledgement we're willing to make and also say, no matter what I believe in bodily autonomy, I can't for the life of me imagine Mm -hmm. being, well, I can't, obviously can't imagine being pregnant, but can't imagine being forced to carry a pregnancy to term against my will. It is, it is beyond horrific for me to even try to wrap my mind around that. Mm-hmm. And I would never want to, to force that on anyone. Mm-hmm. You know, And I, I want to re- so that, that that's what I, I, I just feel like sometimes to make our point, we dismiss whole aspects of what's happened. I, I know several women who've had abortions, and to the woman with whom i've spoken to at length about it it was not an easy process not just physically but emotionally it was not an easy process and and i i believe through the conversation it was not an easy process because energetically it is it is ending life, it's ending the energy of life that was being born inside of them to whatever degree it was being born inside of them. And energetically, that's something to contend with mm-hmm. beyond just the physical, mm-hmm. you know, consequences of an abortion, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so having spoken to several women about this and and all these women are pro-choice, you know, and well, obviously they were gambling abortions, but Having spoken to them, it's like, this is, for me, this can be a more nuanced conversation. And we don't seem to, not nuanced as in, it, it doesn't steer me away from being pro-choice, but just, can we acknowledge more fullness in this discussion? And I would say that absolutely the same thing to anti-choice people. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's it's easier for me to, um not pick at, but it's like, the the for lack of a better expression, the side I'm on in this debate because it's like hey let's let's be more well-rounded in how we talk about it, so it doesn't seem so dismissive, so like it's a sesame seed, it's a collection of cells, it's not anything you know it is life, and we're we're talking about bodily autonomy mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to read you something, but you you talk for a little bit. Did that? I'm very. I'm also nervous talking about this because it, it's funny. I'm watching myself, mm-hmm. like worried about pissing people off, and mm. you know, all that business.
1: Well, yeah, no, I think you're articulating sensitively the complexity of this discussion. Um, I I was raised in a, in an incredibly uh, pro-life. <laughs> I've, that term sticks in my mouth, but anyway, uh, scenario. So I was, I was there marching on the Capitol in Boise as a little kid carrying cardboard signs against abortion. Um, and you know, it's been so fascinating. So I have a lot of connection to, in my memory, to the motivations, to the fears of the people who hold that side, um, very, I mean, without even hesitation, pro-choice in, in my life now, yeah. but I do love the fact that you are bringing attention to the fact that it's a complex issue. You know, um, I would love to sometime bring maybe soon while this thing is still ongoing, maybe, maybe bring a, a woman in to have a discussion about this. Um, cause I really want to hear from like you, I have any number of women who are close to me who have had some of them more than one abortion. And, uh, most of them very progressive, liberal, and definitely pro-choice. And, um, I've really loved having the conversations and it's, it echoes what you said, you know, the, the, the sense of sorrow, the sense of, um, loss, and sometimes things that they need to deal with, you know, years down the road when they're no longer in the circumstances that said, you know, I, I cannot do this pregnancy right now. Um, so yeah, I, it's, it's such a fascinating thing to sit with both sides of this and go basically just, yeah, you know, here we are, here we are in the middle of a pretty intense conversation.
0: Yeah. And it, it, I mean, to me, it feels like it's on some level, it just feels shocking. It feels like devolution what's the opposite of evolution is yeah. it devol- you know and and also to be clear not one of the friends that i know who's had an abortion regrets that decision mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know yeah they were dealing with whatever they were dealing with emotionally but they no one no one i know regrets that decision um i want to read i'll read you something that i a friend of mine wrote Um, I'm going to read the whole thing. I was just going to read the last part. I I know I'm not the only one, but I keep thinking of this whole abortion rights debacle as an issue of bodily autonomy, not viability, not when life begins. Those arguments are at their core subjective, usually based on religion and always unwinnable. But consider our liberty interest in our own bodies There is no other context in which a person has the right to use your body to save the life of another. Hmm. If the life of a fetus depended on receiving a blood transfusion from the father of that fetus, he could not be forced to provide his blood. If the life of a fetus or child depended on receiving a bone marrow or organ donation from their parents, they could not be forced to make that donation. In most jurisdictions, this is the part that really shook me. In most jurisdictions, a person can't have their organs harvested after their death to save the life of another unless they gave their express written permission first. Think about that. Hmm. Bodily autonomy is so sacred that you can't take organs from a dead person to save someone's life. Hmm. But when the law can force someone to carry a pregnancy... It means people who can give birth have fewer rights than a corpse. Wow. Yeah. Uh, again, I'm so clear on my pro-choiciness. I don't need arguments mm-hmm. to convince me of it, mm-hmm. but I, I never even considered how we have to grant our permission for our, our dead body parts. And yet we're we are pushing to force women, well, force... Anyone who can carry a baby, it's not it really isn't just women, obviously, it's mostly women. But um, to force them to carry to term. Mm-hmm. it's 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 bonkers to me.
1: Well, I find it interesting, Scott, that um, the people who are so avid about taking over in various ways right now, um, abortion being one of the issues. But they, many of them, hold what is a in, an intrinsically persecuted sort of narrative. Um, I know this because I grew up deeply Christian, deeply conservative, and the narrative that was very common is we are we are God's embattled people, um, we're God's chosen people, um, and the the world out there um, run by the devil is attempting to, in every way, um, overcome us and, um, persecute us. So they're there. And that sounds really extreme, but I'm telling you that is verbatim. Um, if anything turned down in intensity, the conversations that are had a lot about these things. And I find it so fascinating that the very people who claim to be for keep your hands off my body, keep your hands off my guns, keep your hands off my, my money, Everything are pushing for some of the most draconian type laws right now. Um, I I don't understand. Those are completely inconsistent positions in my mind.
0: Yeah, same.
1: And I realize I just veered off into actual politics versus sort of perspective. But that's that's something I struggle with. I'm like, how can you how can you believe in freedom or or liberty and then want to
0: I struggle with it too. It's control, it's power. It's, it, it makes no, it makes no intuitive sense to me Mm -hmm. either. And that's what's so, um, I think so alarming, you know, when you're, when you're watching, when you're experiencing something and watching something that just, there's an entire disconnect from what is going on inside of me Mm -hmm. around it. And this happens over and over and over again. I mean, it, it it certainly happened around the vaccine. It happens around guns. It happens around so many different things. Where some percentage of us are living with this clarity inside that this is the way it should be, while another percentage of us are living with the clarity that it, the opposite is the way it it should be. Mm-hmm. And I I guess what I what I long for are just more open dialogues that actually holds space for more of, more of the nuance, more of what we're really experiencing and feeling than just pro-anti, 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 you know, and um, I, and sadly, Jacob, I don't think that, that most of us are willing to have those conversations. mm mm-hmm. Just don't think it's what's happening.
1: Well, it requires it requires sitting with the tension, you know, of yeah. of opposites in the middle of that, and holding both, and question asking the question without trying to relieve the tension through violence in some way, without just saying popping off. It's I mean, it's a tension reliever to say you're a fucking idiot, uh, and yeah. and should be put in an internment camp or something. I mean that you know it feels good in the moment of conflict to like you know burst out. With something, but the fact is, holding holding the tension. Now we come, we have the opportunity to come to more of a creative solution. And Scott, despite having lived several lifetimes and you know lived the life of a deeply um, devout Christian, conservative, flag waving, the whole thing, and then you know, <laughs> one of my friends from Texas calls me a, a, a hippie weirdo freak. Um, you know, having lived various lives like that, I can't. What I can't get away from is sitting with some of my dearest friends and some of my family, and hearing, hearing the the actual story of what they were going through at the time of having to make a decision to have an abortion, and what I've learned about childhood trauma, what I've learned about brain development, all these different things play into this because in many cases, the people I'm talking about are people who are really amazing, intelligent, strong, resourceful, resilient women who became single mothers or, or facing um, raising a child with a partner who simply wasn't a partner. Um, we're in financial distress. We're in every kind of destabilization you can imagine. Um, and came to this decision. In my mind, it was an act of compassion. Had they brought yet another child into this world in an atmosphere of stress and trauma and and being destabilized, we've now just handed the world yet another person who who has a lot of things that they're going to need to be healed. Um, and that's not to say that. That's not to say that we can't or shouldn't do that. We are certainly in the middle of what I what I see as a vast conversation in this world, in this nation of, can we grow up as a species? Can we grow up enough to quit using the outdated templates, um, strategies of simply throwing people in prison, um, you know, or restricting through laws, or can or 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 the homeless, you know, question? Can we? can we grow up enough to where we're actually investing real social and financial capital into the program of healing and supporting the individual to realize that that is the path, that is the path toward fostering, creating the foundation of a world that actually works for all of us. And I feel like really most of us want the same world underneath. We want a safe world. We want a world in which we're free to, pursue our connection to the divine or not in whatever way we choose. Uh, All these different, I feel like at the core, we really seek and long for certainty and freedom. And those things are difficult. Uh, They're difficult bedfellows because certainty doesn't always equal freedom.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then when you factor in fear Mm -hmm. and what, how fear distorts certainty and freedom Mm -hmm. and then people, and then people are, more often, or often at the very least, holding on to their fear as their driving force, right? And it becomes less about freedom mm-hmm. and more about fear of losing something. Fear, you know what I'm saying? It's like it's fear that is driving mm-hmm. so much of these experiences. And uh, I may mean, I read something else? Of course, fairly powerful. I've seen this shared several times, and it's it was written by a um a Methodist pastor in Birmingham, Alabama, named Dave Barnhart. It says, The unborn are a convenient group of people to advocate for. They never make demands of you. They are morally uncomplicated, unlike the incarcerated, addicted, or the chronically poor. Hmm. They don't resent your condescension or complain that you are not politically correct. Unlike widows, they don't ask you to question patriarchy. Unlike orphans, they don't need money, education, or childcare. Unlike aliens, they don't bring all that racial, cultural, and religious baggage that you dislike. They allow you to feel good about yourself without any work at creating or maintaining relationships. And when they are born, you can forget about them because they cease to be unborn. You can love the unborn and advocate for them without substantially challenging your own wealth, power, or privilege. Without reimagining social structures, apologizing, or making reparations to anyone. They are, in short, the perfect people to love if you want to claim you love Jesus, but actually dislike people who breathe. Prisoners, immigrants, the sick, the poor, widows, orphans, all the groups that are specifically mentioned in the Bible, they all get thrown under the bus for the unborn. It's powerful. It is. Yeah, it's, you know, I I I can really connect with people who feel like you're ending a life with an abortion and aren't able to make sense of that in their own morality. I kind of said this earlier, I cannot connect with being anti-choice. Mm-hmm. I just can't. And I also, I had a friend who was impregnated by her father at 14 years old and then forced to have an abortion. And she wrote about this experience so beautifully. And she said that she felt a spiritual connection with that with the baby inside of her. And, but what was just as clear to her was that the spirit in that child was going to find another woman to come into this world through and and she said essentially life finds a way and you know i happen to believe i happen to have faith that we're not just here one time that our souls are you know incarnating in different lifetimes and i don't I I don't believe that if a a fetus is aborted, that that spirit is, I believe that that spirit is going to find a way into life if that's the call of that spirit. So um, I think life finds a way.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, you used an example from nature earlier. Of course, that's one of my very favorite things to do. But when I look at the way nature handles life it it sprinkles tremendous numbers of seeds out there i'm looking at these trees outside my house right now and it does not guarantee that any of those little seedlings will make it um we are the ones who have a story about everything you know needing to make it um and i yeah this is i feel like i'm walking on thin ice here a little bit but i'm really okay with that um I feel like in many ways, our medical, our technology in general, but our medical technology has exceeded our, uh, the the development, the evolution of our ethics by a lot, Scott. So we're keeping people alive who would have absolutely um, died, you know, 30, 40, 100 years ago, there would be no question this person, we would not be able to drag them through another decade of physical misery. Um, And so that's, that has led me to have this sort of perennial philosophical question that I wrestle with. Does does capacity equal obligation? Just because we can do something doesn't mean we have to do it. Um, and I know that's venturing into fairly deep waters philosophically, but I feel like <laughs> recognizing that the rate of change of technology of the growth of information, the growth of solutions, has happened so rapidly that we really haven't been able to assimilate to metabolize the number of things we can now do and then answer do, does that mean we must do them? Does that mean we should do them? You know? Absolutely.
0: Yeah. There are any, I'm sure. And any number of examples of things that we're even unaware of that are being done all over the place that mm-hmm. we absolutely don't need to be doing. You know what I do? Oh, go ahead. go ahead.
1: Well, it's a, it's a, this is why it's a thing I wrestle with because once you know once you know that you can save a life if you have the tools sitting right there to I, it's funny the the perspective on life and death for me is different now than it was you know 10 years ago or 20 years ago um in that i kind of i kind of hold the tom robbins one of his characters in even caliber girls get the blues said i believe in nothing everything is sacred I believe in everything, nothing is sacred, which is the holding of opposites. And it's to me that that really does inform my life because I can look at the insignificance of this fruit flies span of a life that I have on this planet. I mean, really not even that long Mm -hmm. and go, it's my life. I don't matter in the big scheme of things. Like I can look at it empirically and say, this galaxy is going to wink out in the vast span of eternity is going to wink out and it'll be like there was never even a planet or a solar system or anything. Um, looking at it from that perspective, it's like really nothing matters. We could fall into nihilism and then and, you know, into depression of, over nothing matters. But that's only part of the story. Everything mm-hmm. matters. Yeah. <laughs> everything has everything that we are talking about has matter. We We do matter. And so being able to hold the absolute preciousness, the sacredness of this moment of life, regardless how ephemeral or just absolutely fleeting it's going to be and realize, and this is the one that I have, this one life right now, this is the one and we may come back, we may reincarnate, but you know what? That, that doesn't mean to me the, I know that I will only be here this way one time yeah. and you too, Scott, and everyone who listen listens to us is, uh, a never-to-be-repeated event in the history of the universe, every single person.
0: In every single second. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. You know, we I don't know if we ever have, but I I feel like we haven't, and it would be good one time to have an episode where we talk about death. Mm. I would love to talk about that with you, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and how much it impacts the insane choices we make as human beings and all the fear around it, you know? So I think that would be a, a worthy conversation to have.
1: Well, I feel that, uh, along with Carl Jung, that most, most of our fear and even trying to repel death in various ways is, he said it's projection from people who have not yet processed the reality of their own demise. Um, mm-hmm. I don't want to see anything die. I actually get a tw- sometimes physical twinge when I drive by a goose or a, or a squirrel that's been flattened in the middle of the road. I mean, I, do, I, on one side hate death. I hate the pain and the suffering that seeing something dead represents. Um, and then the other part of me knows that they you know, this is one part of the story. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. you know, just, just one. Um, but I do, fairly regularly, Scott, probably, you know, not all the time, but probably once a month or so do a, do some version of a Buddhist death meditation where I, I sit there and, and allow myself to fall apart, allow my, in my imagination, allow my form to crumble and fall apart and, and to hold the, to experience the beingness uh, at the core without the body, without the bones, um, and without even the mind, you know, in the same way to hold that is, is a liberating experience. And I wouldn't say it's erased all of my fear of death, but it certainly helps.
0: Is that something at some point would like, could you guide us through that on this podcast or is that more internal? Could you vocalize that meditation? Yeah.
1: To us? Yeah. I, could, I can that do that.
0: Great. Maybe, we, maybe when we do our death episode, that would be a really, um, mm. I would love that. Mm-hmm. That would be beautiful. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I'll find a resource. I, I followed one for a while that was you know more of a guided one, and so I can I can find that. Um, yeah, it's it's an amazing liberation to to sit with the reality. I mean, historically, as far as we know, every single creature that has ever been born on this planet has also died. So so pretending that it's not going to happen, and I do that every single day. I pretend that I am immortal in, in this current version of myself. I mean, yeah. I, it's hard to get through the world without having some level of amnesia about the fact that literally at any moment, this could be completely done. <laughs> yeah. you know, I
0: often think about what a different world we would live in if we actually raised our kids talking about death mm-hmm. instead of blocking them from any mention of it. Mm-hmm. If we just raised children who had a, a, just a sense of comfort around death, understood it as just part of this experience. Mm-hmm. And we, instead of creating energy that's so freaked out and so scared and, and how we would, how different, what different choices would we make from that place? Mm -hmm. Right.
1: Well, we've sanitized it so much as, as you well, you know, know so well, I was reading this book, Becoming Animal. My God, what a beautiful book. And he spent a bunch of time over in um, Tibet in the Himalayas and he was with this group and uh, some of them were the, you know, Tibetan shamans. And it was fascinating um, how they were teaching him the reality of shape-shifting and various things. But one at one point during his stay there, they were having this, what appeared to be a big celebration. And he and they invited him in. And it was a funeral. And the body of the young girl who had died was up on the side of the hill and was cut open. And they were... They were They were having this ceremony, this celebration, ceremony, ritual, honoring death in what to our Western sensibilities is completely Mm -hmm. macabre, you know, uh, morbid, unthinkable, really. But as he described it and as he described what the elders were telling him about it is this is this is how we come into uh, a relationship with, with the inevitable. This is how, this is how we do it. This is how we honor it deeply. Um, this is how we celebrate it. This is how we remember that we're going to be alive right now. Um, and, um, my brother, Nate has been reading this book by Donald Miller called, uh, a hero on a mission. And it's a modern, but it's actually beautifully simplified modern version of the, of the hero's journey. And one thing he does, and I've used this, um, at times past in my workshops, Scott, is have people write their own eulogy
0: mm-hmm. um, yeah. as
1: they would love to be able to write it if they had chosen the life, you know, yeah. and and then in this book, he has them practice reading that to themselves every morning, um, which is such a powerful reminder of
0: I heard him interviewed oh, then. I'm, I must be or i heard someone on a podcast who's doing who yeah. wrote about that in his book and reads it every morning okay probably donald yeah yeah it probably
1: is him yeah, yeah it's a it's a transformative experience to place ourselves in, in one of my workshops in fact in my 20s scott a bank i was working for sent me to a franklin covey uh, seminar to learn time management i thought i was going to learn how to use the day timer which which i did but the presenter my God, and I was such a young, you know, inexperienced everything in life. And here I was in this conference room and this older presenter had us, I'm going to feel emotional about it right now, had us write down. He, he led us through a visualization and there we were at our funeral. And he had us writing down what basically a eulogy, um, what we would want our child to say about us, what we want our parent to say about us, our best friend. And he had us write those things down. And I, I left that thing altered. Like, holy fuck, I've been living my life unconscious of the fact that there is an end and that the choices I make right now are creating, are creating the vision that will one day be true. Um, and so having the opportunity, I feel like it's a deeply creative act or practice to pretend that we're pausing just at a moment on the other side and looking back.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. After hearing that interview, I, 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 I wanted to, I think I wrote one line and then got distracted, so, <laughs> but I was, I was committed for a couple of days to writing, by you, but then didn't do it. But now it's coming up again. So maybe this is, everything's a sign. So. Oh
1: yeah. Well, and you, you know, you said earlier about, um, Wow. My brain just did the squirrel thing. Um, Oh, Oh, you were talking about fear, how much fear motivates us in this world. And it's true. I mean, it's just part of, it's part of life. And what I find is by going through these exercises of becoming deeply aware of the reality of death and of walking through it in imagination and in writing a eulogy, um, Scott, the only thing I'm afraid of it really in this world, I mean, I spiders or whatever, but what I'm really afraid of is coming to that moment we're talking about. Let's just pretend there's a possibility of standing just for a moment and looking back. The only thing I'm really afraid of is looking back and feeling disappointed because I was too afraid mm. to be true to myself. Mm. I was too afraid to take that risk, whatever it is. Um, so for me, that and that's not this sort of hubris filled, I want to, you know, climb a river mountain and build the tallest building in the world. It's more of the, what, what is calling to me? What is my soul calling me to do that currently I feel too afraid to take the step forward? Um, and that's not to say it has to happen right this second, Be- becoming aware of it, asking the question of the deep inner self. What is it that you want to do with this life that that the other parts of my conditioning or experiences or traumas or whatever have stopped me short of doing it and then beginning to ask the question gently how can I take a step forward toward what I know is true inside
0: yeah beautiful I love that I feel like we talk about that a lot mm-hmm. you know versions of that mm-hmm. just connecting with what's true for us and making choices mm-hmm that serve that connection. Can I say one more thing about abortion? Please. <laughs> I think about this sometimes like people who are anti-choice. I do wonder because what what is what they're saying essentially is that you are killing a child. So do they do they feel that women, I don't get the sense that they feel Women should go to prison for having an abortion. But I can't imagine a woman actually killing a living child that I would not feel should be incarcerated for killing a child intentionally, right? And no part of my being feels that a woman who has an abortion should go to prison. And I wonder if you believe that abortion is killing a child, but don't believe that women should be imprisoned for it. Those things don't, they don't feel in resonance with each other. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. It it feels to me like you can't really believe that a child is being murdered if you don't want the woman that you think is murdering the child to be imprisoned. Like there is a disconnect there. So I wonder Mm. And to be clear, obviously, I'm not suggesting women who have abortion should be in prison. I'm just, I'm calling out. It's like, for me, people who are okay with abortion in the case of incest and, or rape. hmm It doesn't make sense to me. Because if you believe a child is being murdered, how would it be okay to murder a child just because of incest or rape? Mm-hmm. Like it feels, do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. It doesn't, it feels to me like, like you don't really believe a child is being murdered. Like there's something else going on there. It just doesn't make sense to me.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. I um, recently rewatched Cider House Rules. I had read the book years ago and then watched the movie, you know, probably a decade ago. But I (laughs) I just recently rewatched the movie. And my God, what a powerful, have you ever seen it or read the book?
0: I've done both, but a long time ago and don't totally remember.
1: Well, I mean, it was, it was around the topic of abortion and it was sensitively, powerfully, uh, courageously written, I feel, especially when he wrote it. Um, but I loved, I loved the humanity and the tenderness that he brought to the story. And back then it was so, you know, Back then, in the time of when the story was set, it was completely illegal, and so women were being, you know, for those who had the means, were being forced to go to, and find these these sketchy ass uh, abortionists, you know, different places, and um, you know, this was being run in a uh, in an orphanage also, and so the the women who would un, unwed mothers who would come there and have their baby, the baby would often stay at the orphanage, and. Um, yeah, I just I loved I loved the telling of the story because it a story like that can hold the polars, the the poles, uh, the opposites, and explain it in very human terms. Conceptually, we're outside of human terms, and now we're talking about legislation. Now we're talking about concepts, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's easy to hit each other over the head with concepts and with legislation. Um, what's harder to do, is sit together and tell our true stories, um, tell our true fears. What's harder to do is hear an anti-abortionist really open up their heart and talk about the depth of their feeling, the depth of their fear. Mm -hmm. Um, because those things exist, they wouldn't be standing out in the rain outside of the Planned Parenthood offices holding signs. You know, to me, it's unthinkable. Now it's, it's really unimaginable. And at some level they believe that a child is being, children are being killed inside of that building and there's the disconnect that you just mentioned of do they really believe that though because otherwise you know
0: yeah it's it's a big um a big subject i uh
1: well we have five more minutes let's solve it right now
0: (laughs) yeah i mean I, i i i pray that i pray we don't move back we we are moving backwards i mean legislation is happening in different states already but mm-hmm. my goodness it's uh
1: one thing i'd like to call us all to understand right now if you can if we can all zoom out a lot in our ma- imaginations of the tides of history right and imagine we're watching these tide these wave patterns happening and we're we're in the foment right now of some really large clashing waves of ideas of underlying motivations for life of seeing the world in a certain way. Um, and as difficult, one of my brothers, who's very conservative in some ways, I loved what he had to say the other day. He said, I get so angry with, um, some of the, you know, some of the fresh crop of legislature le- le- legislators on the Hill who are so outspoken and, you know, brash and, you know, whatever in their face about the liberal progressive agenda. He's like, and, you know, so that's his side of it. He really hates some of that stuff. And he said, and I loved hearing this from him, Isaac, the other day, he said, and Jacob, I realize that this is part of the intense conversation that has to happen for growth to happen. Mm-hmm. And we're, We're in a deep identity crisis in our nation, for sure. Um, We're in a deep identity crisis. Who are we? You know, who do we want to be as we grow up further? Our nation, America, is such a young one in the family of nations around the world. And we're, we have been very idealistic. We have seen ourselves as being very pure, very strong, very right. Um... And we're in a period of deconstructing a lot of that rightness, which is, you know, being expressed through critical race theory and a lot of the things out there that saying, wait a minute, we haven't processed, we haven't acknowledged some of the ways that we became this righteous, mighty superpower. You know, we haven't acknowledged those things and all of that is very difficult. You know, having identity level discussions or um, inquiries is always a difficult thing when we have to question the foundations of who we thought we were, you know?
0: Yeah. I, I love that reflection. And, and also just to kind of calling back to what you said a little bit ago, just to hold space for one another's experiences, because there's an entire lived experience behind the, an opinion, mm-hmm. behind a conviction. And there and I think for most people, it is their lived experience informing it. There are, I think, a lot of disingenuous actors out there in politics. Certainly, mm-hmm. um, that that these these topics just serve more potential for more control um, to implement more racist policies, more misogynistic policies. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, mm-hmm. I do think, however, for most people, they've come to decide about whether it's about abortion or any number of issues based on their life. And in holding space for another person in their lived experience doesn't in any way suggest that you compromise your conviction. Mm -hmm. It's just a way for us to at least hold our compassionate hearts open to potentially create dialogue, maybe not even, Mm -hmm. but to create more compassion in our world to put out the energy of compassion in our world for one another. So that is something that, that could down the line potentially become more of the norm. The norm right now is just dismiss, dismiss each other, shame each other, Mm -hmm. scream at each other, reject each other. That's what we have created as our norm right now in this country. And the only way to create something different is to be an example of the different thing that we want to create. Yeah, If we want more compassion and love, and I believe we all want that, we have to demonstrate it. It's not enough to wish for it if we're not acting in alignment with it. And, well, please, go ahead.
1: Well, no, I, again, somewhat from a zoomed out perspective, but I want to add, Scott, that if we look at the... Approximately eight thousand year narrative of patriarchy, original sin, and how our societies formed around those ideas predominantly, you know, and how that carried on into um, the European the expansion of Rome and into the Americas and all of that. So you look at the influence of those ideas. There are parts of the world where those those ideas are not the dominant. Um, beliefs or convictions. But when you look at that, and if you look at people who are even tangentially connected to whether it's religion or politics in some way, many, many of the people wouldn't, wouldn't say, Oh yeah, I'm a total Christian and and all that stuff. But, but they are being affected by like the belief in original sin that basically, basically says you are broken and need a savior. Mm -hmm. And there is one savior and it's a man, um, you know, and when you look at how our societies and our structures have been built on those two beliefs, the beliefs in scarcity, of not enoughness, when you, believe, when you look at how we are coming to a point of what I feel strongly is deeply questioning that, those supposedly uh, unshakable truths, Original sin for me being the, the primary one um, and the things that are connected to it, scarcity. There's not enough love. There's not enough food. There's not enough money. There's not enough anything. I'm not enough. When we look at that and we, we look at the people who have been, I look at how I was raised and those were unshakable beliefs, Scott. When I eventually... Moved out of that. And that was a very difficult rebirth experience, just, you know, shattering on so many levels to let go of those beliefs because they were so fundamental to my life. They were fundamental to how I saw everything. Um, And that gives me a lot of compassion for people who are in the middle of struggling and don't maybe have the tools or the inclination to go deeply into inquiring why they feel so afraid. The fact is, there's a lot of environmental. Anxiety, fear, um, insecurity about if this isn't true. And a lot of times that's not even a rational level thought, but if this isn't true, then what the fuck in this world is true? And so many people are holding on to shreds or toeholds of what they consider to be certainty and trying to chisel those into bigger toeholds in, in a vast, rapidly changing existence. And the degree to whenever I experience something like that myself, and I do. I have to ask the question, is this fear or anxiety that I'm feeling right now, is this leading me to want to oppress or limit the choice of other people? And if it is, then I'm going down the wrong path.
0: Yeah, that's beautifully stated. I think that we humans have such a hard time just acknowledging what they don't know Mm Mm-hmm. It's so difficult <laughs> to just acknowledge, I don't know like what I can't possibly know for sure no. this thing that I'm advocating with all of my being as truth, you know, and if we were just willing to be honest with ourselves about those things and and the truth is Jacob, not not ever I, I don't know. I was going to say most people, but I don't know that that's true, but there are any, there's a good majority or there's a good number of people on the planet in this lifetime, in this reality, who are not on a journey of getting more honest with themselves and healing the parts in themselves that I don't even want to say are broken or remembering who they are. That's not the journey for any number of people on this planet. They, the, the fear is too big mm. or the call is too small to go there. And, and so for those of us who do feel that call for deeper honesty, more love, more compassion, more, more, more of the remembering, um, stay with it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's necessary. It's necessary.
1: Well, and, you know, on a, I think carrying along in that line, Scott, my friend uh, Debbie Lane. Give a shout out to Debbie Lane. She was the founder of uh, the Lunchbox Waxing Salons that became a whole thing, and then recently sold. And so she's um, she has time right now. And I checked in with her the other day. She's living in New York City, and she said, "Well, at the moment, I'm in I'm in Madrid and Barcelona." She said, "I came over here, and they um, there's some organization that." Taught her to cook large meals, and they are they're feeding the, the refugees from the Ukraine. Um, and I bring that up partly just to uh, give my friend a shout out, but also I feel like that when we're faced with what seems to be a world gone crazy, and we've talked about this over and over, and I think we probably will, because I don't think the world's going to get less crazy during the time we continue the shows. God, <laughs> no, but that every every moment of. Feeling overwhelmed, feeling powerless, hopeless, is an opportunity. If we, want, if I can use that as this little alert flag that says, "Wait, this is an opportunity for a breath." It's an opportunity to take a creative step forward in the life that I would love in some way. And so, rather than feeling like I'm simmering in the juices of resentment and overwhelm um, and panic, I can ask myself, "What tiny thing can I do today?" What probably insignificant seeming thing can I do today that will prove to me that I am, that I am being an agent of love in this world, that I am being an agent of the kind of world that I wish to see. And that might be something as simple as paying your cleaning person when they can't show up for that week, because you want to live in a world where people are supported. It might be as simple as, you know, you start going down the list of small things that can happen, um, that in some tiny way contribute to the world we would all love to w- live in. And so to me, the circumstances, the world has always been a crazy place. This world has always been crazy.
0: Sure.
1: I watched the movie, the Northman with my sons the other day, they invited yeah, me.
0: So, I, like, I want to see it. so badly. Oh my
1: God. It's rugged as fuck, but um, you know, and I have some Norse ancestry. And so it's, it always has interesting to me to kind of see that. But Scott, I look back at those days and, you know, this was depicted, I think probably as historically accurately as they could, but the insanity and the violence and the, you know, all of the things, I mean, it's just unthinkable. And my point is the world has always been a crazy place.
0: Yeah. Humans have always been insane. We're fucking nuts. Like, we have an insane
1: nature. Yeah. 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 We're actually yeah. crazy. And so, absolutely. and so, but, we, but because we're also short sighted and we have amnesia, um, uh-huh. we tend to forget that. And we tend to believe that whatever the time that we're living in right now is the craziest, worst one it's ever been. And the fact is it's okay to feel that way. And And if I can remember that, yeah, this place has always been crazy and I also am crazy in the middle of a crazy place. Um, So what can I do to bring myself back to center? What can I do to bring myself back to the good earth and take a step forward today with as much love and honesty as I can possibly muster, you know?
0: Yeah. And you're, I mean, you were, you were speaking about like showing up in a heart centered way and doing one thing, but that, that also applies to anything you do for yourself Mm -hmm. That reflects compassion and love because anytime you are showing up for yourself in that way, you are serving our world. There's no other possibility because people who are connected to love of self make different choices. They show up differently in the world. They take care of the planet in a different way. They treat others more kindly. This is the natural um, what's the word? Out blanking of self love <laughs> what is that word the natural Outgrowth? i don't know it's a natural extension <laughs> of self love yeah you show up differently in every area of your life so please don't underestimate how important it is for our world mm. for you to to love yourself not from this pressured way like you're failing our world if you're not loving yourself but from this invitation of like it's not it's it's a beautiful kind of selfishness mm-hmm. it's beautiful it serves everything and everyone.
1: Yeah, I, I remember during the early days of COVID, I was working with Randy Davalos at Inside Events, and we did a um, we did a virtual um, workshop with Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. and he happened to be working in the same house with his dad, the author of the Four Agreements. And right at the end, right at the end at of Junior's workshop, he turned around and said, "Hey, everybody, say hi to my dad." And so, old Don Miguel Ruiz got up and he looked into the camera, and you know there was there was early covid days and there was tremendous panic and then you know lots of really crazy things going on and and uh miguel jr said so do you have any wor- words of advice for everyone and as he does he's he's kind of a quiet guy he just sat there and grinned for a while and finally he just leaned in and he said his eyes got serious he said don't play in the fear just don't mm-hmm. play in the fear Great advice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Truly, I don't know if uh, I don't know if we mentioned everyone at the beginning of this episode, but this is the one where we uh, go on a marathon and we literally talk for seventy-two hours. So
0: <laughs> this is definitely our longest episode.
1: Everyone might want to take a bathroom break and get a drink and come back because <laughs> we're going to still be talking. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's funny. I actually feel I feel like we're are we at the are we at the end? I could close it out.
1: I think, you know? it's, I think it's a good place, but I would love to hear—I would love to hear comments, questions, thoughts people are having because I know that we're talking about a lot of things that we're not in a vacuum here. We're not the only two people thinking about these things or feeling these things, Scott. And so I would—I would just invite everyone listening, anyone, uh, visit heyjacobhiesscott com. There's a message box. Um, yeah, send us your thoughts. What are you thinking? What are you Please. feeling? You know?
0: Yeah, about anything we've talked about. Yeah, absolutely. And Jacob, you what what's coming up for you that you want people to know about?
1: Hmm. Wow, we have almost 400 registered for the Julia Cameron workshop wow. uh, that goes on. Yeah, next. Um, let's see, a, a week from Tuesday. Um, so I'll put a link to that in there, and then I have coming up soon a writers uh, community. Heal will Plus Create Writers Community that's launching with Lawrence Apollo I'll go ahead and put a link now. Now people can actually go look at that that page is going to be a limited number in this group who joins the, the early pod of the community. But I'm so excited about that, Scott. It's been in my heart for so many years um, to create ongoing connection, support, um, you know, teaching for people who know that they're called to write, but maybe feel stuck or feel um, afraid or whatever they're feeling. There's a reason why they haven't written their books yet or whatever it is they want to write. So I'm just, I just feel so excited about, Creating something that can support people, and I have a microdosing workshop coming up in June, so I'll have a link to that oh, nice. not this time but next time.
0: So you're busy <laughs> nice. a little bit. <laughs> How, a little about you? How about you, brother? Yeah, well, I've got my my sub stack, and I'm, I'm sending out like a weekly newsletter with um kind of an essay thoughts about whatever's you know on my mind, so we'll share a link to that. Um, it's just scotstabile.substack.com. And then my breath work, I'm doing online breath work every Tuesday evening via Zoom. And I want to just quickly read, this woman came to the first two, and this is what she sent me after the second one. Okay. So this time it actually felt psychedelic. Like I had a whole healing journey. What the heck, Scott? Exclamation point. If I keep following you around, I might end up a healed person walking around inside their own body, feeling all the sparkly joy. (laughs) Holy smoke. Thank you. Like I held myself like a mother, but not me. Mother love held me like a child. Okay, that's all. So come check out Breathwork (laughs) is what I will say after that, because it is almost 100% of the people. I I would think 100%, but I I don't want to say that. Are, are at least surprised by it's not like it's not a quiet meditative breathing experience it's it really activates a lot in your body and it's something to Experience. So that's on Tuesday nights. We'll share a link to that as well.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, are, does, do you just put a direct Zoom link and say whoever shows up when, or do they need to register? Or how does that work?
0: Oh, no, they, yeah, it's a register. Oh, perfect. They need to register. Okay. Yeah. So you'll and, send me and, a. and people who are subscribed to my Substack um, get a discount on the registration. Oh, brilliant. And on everything I do,
1: they'll get a discount. So, God, I'm glad I'm an annual subscriber to your Substack. Yes, exactly.
0: You're automatically <laughs> part of the discount page. (laughs) Well, listen, I just
1: wish that we could, and I guess we can in our uh, imagination here, Scott, but I just wish that I could join with you and hold hands with everybody who's listening right now in this great big circle around the world um, and just squeeze each other's hands and say, it's going to be okay. Thanks for being here, you know?
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for being here, It's up to you to choose how good it can get, how much love you can let into your life, into your heart, before your mind decides it's too much. It's up to you to choose. It's up to you to choose.